What's up, everyone? Welcome back to episode two of the FN Growth Podcast. I'm Rymar. This is Joe. Today, we're diving deep into the sales process. So we're going to take you all the way through from where do you find potential prospects? How do you talk to them about the value of Webflow and your services in general? And then how do you close those big, fat, juicy deals? So before we get too far into this, let's FN Grow. Okay, so we're back. Episode two. What's up, Joe? How you doing? What's up, Rymar? How's it going? I'm doing really great. I always get nervous for those intros. No matter how many times I stream, no matter what, like if you were over here, you would see that I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to loosen up and yeah, get ready. All right. We got a bunch of people with us, a uh, bunch of people from last week, Penny, Mo, Rohan's in the house, Scott, Aditya. What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us again for a second episode. What are we talking about today, Joe? We're talking about sales. We're talking about how to get people to your site, asking for your work, how to sell them, and how to sell Webflow. So how mm. to sell Webflow plus yourself, which is really important if you're working in Webflow. Yeah, and you and we don't want to forget we, that yourself. We both part. have a lot of experience in yeah, of course. Of course, you got to be good. This is not just selling Webflow. Right. And what's really interesting about this show is it's covering our sales background. It's going into sales, which both of us have experience with before doing Webflow, before doing websites. So this is exciting for me. I love talking sales. Yeah. And we each know a little bit about each other's background kind of in sales and uh, what we've been doing in Webflow and whatnot, but we don't have that deep an understanding of kind of like our how we got into sales. And so today we're going to explore a little bit about our sales backgrounds, why we're qualified. Uh, that's how we're going to start out, kind of why we're qualified to help you kind of understand this topic and make movement in this topic and um, really hopefully give you some valuable takeaways that you can implement immediately through your sales process and in your prospecting and basically the way you deal with clients. So um, Joe, let's jump right into background here. So talk to me about sure. before FinSuite, like before FinSuite's even a thing, you know, like you're just eager beaver dude who sees the internet and you're like, <laughs> I got to make some money on this computer screen, right? Like I'm spending way too much time on this computer. Let me figure out how to make money here. And where do you even start? Like, where do you get going? What, where does Joe's sales process, sales journey begin? Sure. I'll start just before the internet, just before things were being sold on the internet, then we'll get into the internet. I was selling baseball cards and little knickknacks here and there from garage sales and from anywhere that I could find an item and go sell, I would try to do that, whether it was a friend or a family member or anything from a very early age. Sales felt very natural to me and I loved it. And then when eBay became a thing, I needed to sell on eBay. I was convincing my parents to set me up with an account with all of the requirements that were needed for eBay that I couldn't do as a 12 year old or 13 year old. And I started selling on eBay like a monster. I would sell anything that I could get my hands on through the eBay platform. So I had a lot of experience with online sales and just selling things in general, writing up those descriptions and it was fun. Then, Fast forward a few years through high school, through college, still selling on eBay. But really when I started to get into 
a more formal sales process was just before FinSuite. I was working with a company and I was managing their sales team. It was a team of around 10 people and we were selling on the phone and I was the manager of this process. So not only did I have the experience selling, but now I, I had some experience managing the process. That was really cool. Why I got into Webflow in this sales team, the demo and the dashboard to enter the sales was not working. It never worked. And I tried so hard to work with the development team to get it to work, but I knew absolutely nothing about websites, nothing about anything. So I was lost and I was confused and I thought, I need to learn this web stuff. This is, it's too important to have a sales team that doesn't have a working dashboard to enter information. So I was motivated to learn a little bit more about it. And that's when FinSuite started, that exploration of websites. So yeah. that's a, a nice little background of, of how I got started. So nice it went from just basic online sales to then kind of working in a sales uh, call room, organizing that, and then that led to web. Um, it's funny, I started in insurance. Um, I was actually a commercial property casualty and um, commercial property and casualty insurance agents uh, for like four years, five years. And it's a tough uh, insurance license to get here in the state of Florida. And everything was going great in my world for a while. Six figure sales job. We had a expense account. I remember we had uh, box seats to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, and uh, we'd have a car allowance, et cetera, whatever. And then the whole economy fell apart. 2008 came and the world just crumbled. Um, and I had just switched to a new insurance agency. And so I was the first guy in or last guy in first guy out. And so then the recession hit 2008 and I wasn't really happy with any of the corporate stuff, um, but really didn't have any other experience. And so like, I just found a job selling office supplies. At this point, I ended up moving back to Columbus, Ohio. My whole world fell apart. I don't really want to talk about all the details, but everything, divorce, lost my job, move across state lines. And now I'm back in mom's basement, literally get a job selling office supplies door to door, uh, Dunder Mifflin style. And I did this for about a year until I realized like, man, if I could go in and just sell random people on buying office supplies, I could probably sell anything. And my mom then introduced me to a guy who was selling text message marketing. So text marketing services. And this was like the first tech product. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I thought he had built the platform. I didn't understand he had just like become a reseller of this platform. And so when I find out he had become a reseller, I talked to a friend of mine and to like buying a package of these things. We started selling text marketing door to door and that's how I got into tech. Uh, I realized nobody actually wanted text message marketing. They wanted like holistic marketing approach, right? They wanted websites, they wanted uh, landing pages, they wanted funnels, they wanted email marketing, they wanted all these other things. And I was just trying to sell them text marketing direct. And so after like six months of not selling anything, I started learning about web design. I landed uh, my first client, it was like a, logo and website project and i'd never built a website and so this is how i learned uh it was wordpress back then wow. and yeah it was just i gotta find a way to make money my world had kind of fallen apart i wasn't going back to the corporate world so let me see what i can do you know and it's been a wild ride ever since that's eight years ago almost nine years ago now and so like um yeah it's been a wild ride <laughs> rohan dunder how's that door-to-door -door selling Oh man. The the door-to-door -door selling in my opinion is one of the most difficult 
sales techniques out there. You're, you're face to face with somebody and they don't want to see you. They know you're selling something that they probably don't want or they think they don't want before you open your mouth. Right. And it's just awkward or it can be awkward. I've done the door to door and it's, ugh, I don't know. I, I don't want to ever do it again. Okay, listen, we used to see 40 to 50 doors a day. We were like machines. <laughs> we would go and we'd park our car on one side of town and we'd literally just canvas the whole block, walk across the street, canvas the block, and just do loops around town, knocking on every door. And we got really good at making what we called five-minute friends. I would walk in and within a couple minutes, we were talking about anything other than what I was there for. We were rapping about the weather or sports or whatever I could get you like, talking about and once i got you talking and kind of got people hanging out um we were able to kind of introduce like oh where do you buy your office or your paper your your toner your ink your whatever you know and um you get really good at turning people into like friends and then saving them some time providing value and this is when i started to see like there's got to be other things that we can sell in this process, right? It can't just be office supplies. I had the insurance experience. And so I'm kind of like bouncing around in exploring the world of sales and trying to figure out like, how do I use this to sell me? How do I become the product? And that's what started my path in digital, um, trying to figure out how do I build a product around myself? How do I start a marketing agency? How do I start doing some of these things that I had seen other people on the web doing? Um, and again, that's just, yeah, a wild ride from there to here. Oh, nice. Oh, and okay. I, I like how you said you talked about other things before the sale. You, you talked about other things before the sale and that can kind of transition into our next part here, understanding the prospect that you, you need to understand who you're talking to and who you're selling to before you actually start to sell them. So in yeah. your case with the door to door, you were cracking some jokes, finding out what type of person this is. And when you're selling websites, you have to do the same thing. When somebody comes to you to go and make a website, you need to understand what that prospect wants. What is this lead looking for? Why are they jumping into Webflow? Why do they need a new website? And understanding those answers is going to help you pitch that person, sell that person. Yeah. In a sales pitch, nobody wants to hear information that's irrelevant. If they don't care about Webflow Editor, don't say anything about Webflow Editor. If they don't care about the easy hosting option, don't talk about the easy, easy hosting option. Find out what they want and then tell them the information about what they want. Tell and me a little bit. That's a great, that is a great technique no matter what you're selling. Websites yeah. or insurance or anything. I think that's the hardest part is building enough trust to really understand a client, right? For them to, to open up in that level. And that was from the door to door side of thing. What was like just a raw talent with energy. You do that with energy online. It's a completely different game. You got to figure out like, what is that emotional connection that you create when they land on the web page? This is why the FinSuite homepage makes such an impact because people kind of see it and it creates this little wow effect before it does anything else. And I think this is what people want when they hire FinSuite and when they hire uh, someone of our caliber to build their website is they kind of expect that same emotional connection. And so can you tell us a little bit about how do you get to that point? How do we get to that point? How do we... Um, 
understand the prospect. Talk to me a little bit about it. I see um, Mo is saying here, talk less, listen more. Exactly. So it's always asking questions. Kai Jolly is saying under promise, over deliver. Uh, Richard Torres in the house too. What's up? But Joe, talk to me a little bit about that understanding process. How do you approach it? Um, what are some key questions you asked? Talk to me about this whole process of understanding the prospect. Sure. I get right into the questions, just like you said. So right away in the first five minutes of the call, I'm asking, what are the problems with your current website? What are what problems are you looking to fix? And why are you interested in Webflow? With those questions, you can get a lot of information from that client. You can get them talking. You can get them to understand their, their own problems better. And then when you follow that up with a solution, you're telling them exactly what they want to hear. They may not know what they want on that phone call until they answer those questions. So go ahead and ask them. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to ask those questions pretty much every time, even yeah. if they put that information in the lead form. Go ahead and ask it. Yeah. And this is, um, can you recap those questions you asked? Um, so w why do they want to be on Webflow? Kind of what's their pain point, right? What's the purpose of the new site you're building? Um, rattle through some of those questions again specifically that you asked and so what, people can maybe write those down yeah sure so we want to we want to ask them their current problems with their current website so if they're on wordpress or even if they're on a different webflow build why are why are you contacting me what's the reason for this change then you're going to go and ask how do you want to fix that so maybe their pro problem is I can't edit my website. I'm on WordPress. I can't make edits. How do you want to fix that? I would love to make all the edits myself. Or maybe the client says, I want a team that I can rely on to make all the edits. Whatever their answer is, you're now forming that pitch in your head to go and tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And then you follow up with, why are you choosing Webflow? What are the reasons for this? Is it the editor? Is it the easy hosting? Is it the design control? Is it the interactions? everybody's going to have a different answer there. And based yeah. on that answer, you need to continue talking about that. Yeah, and this is a great time to just point out that um, a best, a good way to build trust and do listening is asking the right questions, right? And so Joe rattles off a bunch of questions here that are important for you to ask, but throughout the whole process, the more questions you ask, the more you're getting them to kind of get what's in their head out. And that's what leads to a successful web project, right? It's kind of taking the ideas from the client's head, from the, you know, whoever project manager's head and bringing that into the design space, the implementation space, um, whatever it may be. And so you can kind of control the flow of a conversation by asking questions and even regurgitating a question or deflecting with the question, right? I don't like doing this too much because you can seem really salesy if somebody is trying to get a piece of information from you and you keep deflecting with a question to not answer, that's kind of a skeezy tactic. Tactic. But if you're genuinely trying to dig deeper, so if a client says, how much do you charge? And you say, well, what are you trying to accomplish? This is you know, a good way to just deflect that question from a price, pinning yourself in on a price point to really honing in on what is it that you're trying to do? What are you trying to hire me for? And so this is a good instance to, again, reflect with that question um, without kind of uh, really upsetting the client or, or doing anything else to 
mess up the situation, but it does give you a lot of information which you can carry into the project. So um, any anything else on uh, understanding the prospect? Let's see what's coming yeah. through. Go ahead. I'll, I'll do one more note on this. Uh, and this is, this really applies to any sales process, not just Webflow. Understanding the type of person you are speaking with. I thought it was very interesting that Rymar was talking about his sales process and said that he talked to the, to the people about other things before getting into the sales. That can work for some people. Some people want to get on a call and, you know, go back and forth, talk about some things, just, hey, what, what are you doing? Give me an intro yourself. Great. I'm from New York, very close to the city of New York, and people are very fast and they don't want to do the small talk. I was on a call just earlier today. It finished 15 minutes early. It was a 30 minute call and it was bam, bam, bam. They wanted to get on the call, get the information and get off. You have to understand what type of person are you speaking to? Are you speaking to somebody who wants that information, get off the call and follow up an email? Do you want somebody to go back and forth, chat a little bit, have some laughs, find out who that person is and make that call about that person? Yeah. Follow that person's personality, follow that the way that, that that person likes to speak. And it also depends on the platform you're communicating with. So that's, that's my final one. Yeah, and, and it also depends on the platform you're communicating with somebody, right? If it's real time, you can have a little bit more of that banter because you can see the emotion, you can chat and connect visually with somebody. If it's through text, sometimes that doesn't play as well, so you got to rethink about how you might want to do that. And then you got to think about the depth of the relationship, right? You don't want to like go too personal or push too far in a place where you know you shouldn't be pushing and so yeah kind of understanding that balance um i remember one time specifically when we were going door to door we walked into an attorney's office and i said we used to make jokes all the time and i said something about i'm with the irs we're here for an audit and <laughs> the faces across the desk just like tightened up and I didn't realize what was so intense, but when I, when I looked a little further, they were tax law, they were tax lawyers. And so they were tax accountants and lawyers. And so like, talk about not knowing the audience, right? Like anywhere else that might've been a hoot and we would have laughed and it would have been great and nobody would have cared. In that moment, it really like got these people's blood boiling and it like they kicked us out right there. And so, um, yeah, for sure, a perfect example of <laughs> knowing your audience. And there's ways to do this, That's right? A good like, one. I like when that. we were doing the door to door sales, we would walk in and I'd start scanning, right? What can I see? What can I attach to this person's personality? What kind of images, little things they have on the desk? On the web, you can do that through their website. You can look up somebody's social profile. You can, I mean, you don't want to get stalker like, but you should understand the business that you're talking to. Right. And if you can get in front of them in those points, in that context, you become so much more valuable to, to this company. Like they're like, oh, we haven't even started working and they're doing research. They understand me. They know my problems ahead of time. And so if you can think about some of those things ahead of time, that gives you a real good opportunity to just elevate yourself against somebody else you might be competing with. Um, any thoughts there before we jump into the next section? That's a great, that's a great final point. And none of it matters. Everything that we said is void, not complete if you don't know what you're selling. And that mm -hmm. goes right into know the platform. Yeah. So let's if jump right into If you do know not the know the Webflow platform, you are going to have a really hard time selling the Webflow platform. 
And when people ask questions about Webflow, you need to answer with those questions about Webflow answered correctly. You need to be seen as the professional, as the master, as the guardian of Webflow because they're going to be using you for their services. They want to make sure that they are working with a pro. So you've got to know the platform. Reimar, tell me about your yeah. beginning points in Webflow and how you showed to become a pro in this platform that you're just starting out in. Before I jump into that, I want to say that this goes to any platform, right? <laughs> right now we're talking about Webflow because this is a about Webflow growth, but this goes to anything. If you don't know what you're selling, you got no chance, right? Like the client is gonna see through that in a heartbeat. And so whether it's Webflow, whether it's office supplies, whether it's I, whatever you're selling, right? Your OnlyFans account. I don't know what you're trying to do out here, but regardless, you better know what you're talking about. And so that goes back to the Webflow question. Um, so, when I first started with Webflow, I don't know anything about the platform, right? I know what I can do with WordPress. I know very well my limitations inside of WordPress. In Webflow, it just took exploring, right? And pushing the boundaries and trying to do, I never, I got in the habit real early when I was selling on the web and doing marketing stuff. I never sold anybody to anything that I didn't do for myself first. And so the way I learned to sell things, the way I learned to build products, the way I learned to do things was to build it for myself, test it, experiment, and then I had confidence to go to the client and say, I know I can do this, right? Because I just did it. And that became the way I would just stack new skills and then I would go present these things to clients. And then I would showcase that work, especially with uh, Webflow in the showcase, right? Creating these clonable projects, um, whatever I could to interact with other people and show like, I know what I'm talking about. And that gets you to the point where you know the limitations of the platform. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the gist there. I, I do have a, another quick anecdote, anecdote, if you don't have anything there, but, um, I'll, I'm going to give you a chance here. And then I've got another little story if we want to yeah. throw it in after that. Cool. Absolutely. I have the same, I, I did the same exact thing as you early in the Webflow career. I spent months doing my own things, making sure that I was confident in the platform. Then I sold it to people. I think it's very important that you learn how to solve problems in Webflow. That's the best way to be knowledgeable in anything that you're selling. You're selling a dishwashing soap. Understand how that's going to fix a problem, give a solution, and then present that solution to the person buying. So with Webflow, if somebody is interested in the editor, I'm going to talk about the editor and show them the editor and explain the editor and just give them all the information that they would ever want about the editor. When people come with those problems that we talked about in the beginning, you have to go and solve them. And that is what I think of as platform knowledge in Webflow, being able to solve those questions, solve the problems, understand what that person wants and give the solution live on the phone. Yeah. So for your business, anybody who's listening, you have to see what are my leads asking for? What are these, these prospects requesting from me? Whatever that answer is, go and learn it and understand how to speak about it. Yeah, think about... Try um, screen sharing. Think about what makes a comedian a good comedian, right? Like every time you watch a killer comedian, 
at the end of the show, at the midway of the show, they always find a way to reference jokes that they made earlier in the show. And tying those things together, connecting those dots, make you feel like this comedic experience was a full show, right? Like, oh man, this was a complete journey. The sales process is the exact same thing, right? Going back to understanding your clients and understanding what they need, and then throughout the entire process, tying those things back in, looping that information back into your pitch, into the conversations, so-and-so, when we first started talking, you were telling me that these were your pain points, this is how we're addressing them, this is the expected outcome, blah, 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 all the way through, you're connecting those dots, you're closing that routine, so to the end user, to the customer, this feels like a seamless experience. And just like that comedian gives you that feeling of like a complete show, the client will understand like, oh, this person is understanding this full loop. And that's invaluable when it comes to selling, especially in this digital world. Richard Torres is saying it's called a callback. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Richard Torres Love is in the, biz in the show business. Yeah, um, share your thoughts on that. What's What are you thinking right now? <laughs> nice yeah i'm i'm loving that last comment that that absolutely makes sense and another another thing that i do at the end of sales calls is i go through all the things we talked about same concept here so before we go i say here's what i'm supposed to do here's what you're supposed to do let's go and do it and follow up yeah so that you you get those problems and those solutions in that run through and at the right. end of the call, they say, wow, this person understand everything I said. It's very clear because they just said everything. And yeah, that's a really, really great way to think about it. Yeah. Hey, Joe, let's answer. Um, and priming the pipeline. Oh, hang on. Before we jump yeah. into the next section, um, Scott said something about having a way to identify red flags early in the stages. Um, so and knowing whether it's somebody we want to work with or not. And so um, just before we jump into priming the pipeline, can you talk about what you look for as red flags? How do you screen some of these clients? Because that's a big part of sales too, is making sure you're working with people who can actually buy what you're selling. Because um, lots of people want, especially as you start providing value, lots of people will want what you have to sell. But qualifying that prospect is an important part of this process. So Joe, Maybe we just add a little card here. Um, talk to me about qualifying that prospect. Um, what questions do you ask to see a red a red flag? What's an immediate deal breaker? Go ahead. Sure. It is uh, one big deal breaker for me is a complaint about Webflow hosting. That's a huge red flag. We don't get that anymore in FinSuite. We have clients that are very happy to pay that that price, but earlier on. We did get clients that came in and said, ooh, $16 per month, that's a lot. If you have a lead that has a problem paying $16 per month to keep their website live, that is just red flag, red lights, alarms going off. If they can't pay 16 a month, don't think that they're going to pay you well to go and build the site. So that's a big red flag. Uh, number two red flag is if the person is consistently late in doing what they say they're say they're going to do, like hey, let's get some content in by this date. Would love to see. They're late. They're late. They're late. Walk away from that. Mm -hmm. Try to identify people that are not staying on track and not prioritizing their website project. 
If they're not delivering content, it's not because they don't have enough time. It's because they are not prioritizing doing that website content. And you want, you want to work with people who are prioritizing this project. So those are two red flags. I'm sure we can come up with a list of them. Let's hit more of those in overcoming objections. Yeah, perfect. Um, I just wanted to answer that in real time. Uh, YL is in here making all sorts of comments. He says we're reminding him of the book Selling to Vito, which I don't know, uh, but we'll have to look that up. Um, okay, so let's go to priming the pipeline. And for those who are not up to speed on sales lingo, a pipeline is kind of like your flow of prospects or potential sales opportunities, right? And so this is the top of your funnel. And the idea is that you're always filling the top of your funnel so that you can take people through your sales processes and, and get them at the end to be a client. And so we're going to take a little bit to talk about how we treat this internally, how I maybe do some of this, how Joe at FinSuite has done some of this, but how do we generate attention so that we fill the top of our pipeline so that we're always getting high quality leads? So Joe, um, you do a really great job at this. We're getting leads all the time on the FinSuite website. Um, talk to me how you built this momentum. How do you get to the place where you're always getting these really high quality website leads? The biggest thing, especially early on in the FinSuite career, was portfolio items. Having work examples. The more work examples you have, the more people will be talking about you. In the Webflow community, outside of the Webflow community. As people go to your site and they see a lot of portfolio items, you are gaining trust right away. And Ever since the beginning of FinSuite, one of our goals was to push out as many websites as possible. We want to take in as many projects as we can and deliver as many projects as we can. That is going to help bring people in, guaranteed. If you have a 30 portfolio, 30 site portfolio, people will start to come to you. It, there's just going to be too much talk about you for people to not start coming. It's also very important to get to the next level of leads by building websites above your normal quality level. We are actively doing this every single project at FinSuite. That when a project comes in, we are trying to deliver so far above that value so the project appears that it costs more money. Sometimes we'll have a project that's $10,000, let's say. If we deliver that project at $50,000 and it looks like a $50,000 site, people will come to our portfolio and say, wow, that site must have cost $50,000. That's how much I want to spend. They don't know it was 10,000. We're just delivering above and above and above. So our portfolio looks bigger and better and juicier. And in this case, everybody wins. We win because we have a, a happy client and we have bigger projects. Our clients win because they're getting so much more value from that project. That's been the FinSuite strategy. That's that's what we have been doing since day one and actively doing today. Yeah, we don't do any advertising either. It's all based on these portfolio items, and that starts to compound over time. And then in FinSuite case specifically, um, and more, I'll, I'll kind of dive separately into this. But creating all the assets, the resources, the JavaScript libraries, the support—you know—all of these things, all of these they become marketing assets, but they're not direct marketing assets, right? Like Joe and we at FinSuite don't think about these things and we're like, what's gonna be, how many people are we gonna drive to our community when we create this project? 
we want to solve a problem for ourselves and then that becomes how do we solve this for other people and then it becomes let's put this out into the community and so the more value you can provide in whatever channel that is for us that's been assets and resources clonables etc but for you maybe it's a podcast maybe it's a newsletter i remember before i came to finsuite um, I was doing local meetups uh, first with uh, WordPress and then Webflow. We still run meetups. They're a little bigger events that we do online now. But I landed a ton of clients locally because they would come to my Webflow meetup and they just, hey, look, this guy knows what he's talking about. I want to deal with somebody with close proximity. And so I landed a lot of leads like that. You can do that in a digital setting. Um, but really, it's about providing value. I always tell people, if someone feels smarter after having engaged with your content, or if you can give people a little nugget so that when they go out into the world, they seem smarter, people are going to keep coming back to that, right? That's what we're hoping to do with this show here is to give enough little value, enough nuggets of what we've learned over the course of the last decade of our experience building websites out to the community that hopefully you'll tell somebody else about this. You'll come back and watch. You'll hang with us. And so this is really the strategy that you should adopt if you're trying to grow a pipeline, if you're trying to bring in new deals, clients, et cetera, to the top of your funnel, because the more you can set yourself apart as the person who knows what they're doing, what they're talking about, you know, that's where people want to go, right? Especially the people with the money, with the budget to spend. If I've got a budget and I'm an up and coming business and I've got to pick who I'm going to spend my twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars for a website, you better believe that gets real. You know, they're doing a lot of research and they're going to want to see what is the value this person's providing, who are they in the community, and how are they setting themselves apart. And so, all of these are the things that you can do to really get to that next level, especially as it relates to driving that top of funnel activity. Love it, absolutely, and I'll. I'll make it more clear. My portfolio item comment also relates to what Reimar just said. Portfolio does not just mean client website portfolio. It can mean fun projects. It could mean a cool clonable. It could mean, hey, here's this cool hack that I put on all the client websites. And if you work with us, you can get this hack too. That I see as part of the portfolio. It's part of your toolkit, your resources that you can use to go and resell people. Yeah. And as people see more of that, you get more of that reliability. Oh no, I'm I'm about to lose my uh, my iPad battery. <laughs> Let me see if I can find a Apple charger. Okay. Let's jump into the next section, overcoming objections, real quick, because I sure. think this is going to allow us to answer handle some of the questions here. Um, let's see, what was your process for building a team? How did you start, Tori? We did a whole episode on that last week. If you want to check out, we talked about um, how to make hires and plan for growth. That was episode number one. Uh, YL, let's see, what do you think about pricing? Do you allow for financings? How do you soften the edges of a $10,000 invoice? So let's talk a little bit about overcoming objections. Pricing is a huge objection. So Joe, let me give you the floor real quick. I'm gonna find a charger for this. Just let's start talking about a little bit about pricing and uh, objections in general. So um, the floor is yours. Absolutely. Pricing objections will always happen. They happened day one of FinSuite. They happen today. That's just how people, that, that's how companies work. They have a budget. You say a number, they want to go a little bit lower. That's okay. Like I said in the beginning, you don't want to take the people that are super, super budget conscious. The people who are really uncomfortable paying that amount. Anytime we charge somebody an amount for a website, it's very important that they feel comfortable with that amount. So that's number one, make sure that they are actually okay with this amount. When P 
people are okay with the amount, but they do have trouble paying. We have always had a policy that you can pay when you want. There is a little bit of risk involved with that, but it's going to help you close deals. Sometimes people do want to see a little bit of work before paying that money. That's okay. Sometimes people need to pay in three installments instead of two installments. That's okay. Your top priority should be building a really great website, not getting the money. So that's, that's how we think about it at FinSuite, that money is a secondary option. It's more about picking the right client, picking the right project, and getting that work to go do. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's how we do it. it. Does that answer the question? I, I think so. Um, and I'm not sure you need to soften the blow of your $10,000 invoice. You should be proud of what you charge for your work. Um, this is not to say that you shouldn't always expect to exceed that value, but you know, like you work hard to get to a certain threshold where your work demands certain level of respect and you shouldn't necessarily be scared of that. If you're scared of your price, you're probably not sure of your services or the competition, or maybe you're, you know, in water that's a little above your depth. Um, so I, I don't know uh, what you think about that, Joe, but that's kind of how I see a little bit on that pricing. Yeah, we depends on the project. I really like that you said that because that is so true. The every every few months or maybe every year in in suite. There's just a random pricing increase that we were making these sites for this amount now, but now we feel like we can charge this. So we're going to start charging it. If you don't want it, see you later. If you want it, we're happy to work with you. That is for most projects, but sometimes you need to get a project. If it's a project that's really important, it's going to be one of those projects that people say, wow, look at this site that these people built, this person built. This is awesome. If you need to get that project, then all the money things go away. Uh, you could even say, pay me anything you want for this project. I want to work. I need to work on it. And we do that method also. But yes, Reimar, 100, 100% correct. If you want to charge 10,000 and somebody doesn't want to pay 10,000, maybe they are not the right client for you. Yeah. Well, two things. They may not be the client for you or you may not be offering the right value to, you know, be throwing a $10,000 invoice at somebody. There's certain steps and maybe we can talk about that in detail in another episode or we'll, or maybe closing the big deals. We'll talk a bit, a little bit of the details yeah. um, of what it takes. Cause once you start offering 10, 20, $30,000 websites, there's a little bit of a different expectation from the client side than when you're doing a couple thousand dollar website for Joe Schmo business across the street. So um, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about specific objections, right? So like, what are objections that people create or give when buying a website? And objections would typically be something like, I want to host on my own server. Um, you know, maybe they don't want to use Webflow. Maybe they're getting prices from other competing agencies. Um, your price could be too high, right? So like, these are all common objections. Um, Joe, do you have... Any other like common objections that you get or processes for overcoming them? Otherwise, I've got like a little easy process that I want to go over with people for coming overcoming objections. Sure, I'll I'll say that the the Webflow objections are my favorite because those we can always get over. 
that we have we have a team of people, we have a level of knowledge in Webflow where we're confident that we can overcome any objection for the Webflow hosting, for the Webflow limitations. We have done that over many years of experience. So in the beginning of selling Webflow, you may see Webflow as a lot of objections. Uh, you may see it as a lot of limitations which people can object. As you become more experienced, these should be less and less, and you should be focused on making these less common by having more industry knowledge. As you yeah. become more knowledgeable, you'll get less objections. And we talked about that in the beginning, fight to solve those problems so that you can even encourage them. Tell me what's wrong with Webflow. I want you to object because I'm about to tell you how to go and solve that problem live here on the call. Yeah. So you don't have to look at them as bad. They can be good things. Yeah, I agree. An objection is usually the customer or client telling you that they need a little bit more information before they can make a buying decision. And so it's not always a negative thing. Sometimes it is. Um, but what Joe just said there makes a lot of sense. And also going back to kind of our callback, right? Think about our comedian methodology here. We're trying to c continue and connect the dots. And so when you get these objections, the best way to handle them is kind of at the beginning, addressing what might potentially become an objection by regurgitating what they said they wanted against what you're already going to do and trying to preempt some of the rejections. Um, if you do get some rejections, there's like a, a little three R process that we bring back from my door to door sales process, right? So like, I still like to use this, it's called reflect, uh, reject and redirect, right? And so the first step you're gonna do is you're gonna reflect. When somebody says the pricing's too high or I want to go host it on my own server, you, first of all, need to acknowledge that they have a problem or that there is something here. You don't just want to blow past an objection because this means you're not listening, right? So the first thing you want to do is reflect. Okay, so if I hear you properly, you're saying you don't want to do hosting because of X or my price is too high because of X. So the first thing you want to do is acknowledge that they've made an objection. The second thing is you want to reject the re the objection. So you want to give them a reason why their objection is not valid. And ideally, this would be going back to the questions you asked or the process you've done up to this point and re-emphasizing why you've taken why you've taken or chosen the path you're cho you're choosing. So if you've made a decision for some reason, if you want to use Webflow because we're Webflow experts here and this is what we do, you should have a way to tie that in. Uh, again, to reject that um, objection. And then the redirect, right, is again, aiming their attention to something else, something you already know has value or something they've already committed to you earlier on, right? Because getting this information from the customer is little baby commitments. The more times you get the customer saying yes along the way or agreeing with you along the way, it, the more likely you are to get the big yes at the end of the process. And so uh, again, uh, reflect, reject, and then redirect. At the end, you want to point them in the right direction, which if the objection has derailed you a little bit, is back towards closing that deal or solving that problem at the end of the day. So um, hopefully that makes sense for people. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on that? I also like to, to make leads feel very relaxed and okay with their objections. I'll give some, ex some specific examples here. I don't want to host on Webflow because of dot, 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 whatever. We're going to come back and say, you have to host on Webflow. We, we actually don't work with companies that don't host on Webflow because hosting on Webflow is the right move. And we, I say this so confidently to the person. 
we will walk away from this deal if you're hosting elsewhere because it's not the right thing to do. You want this editor functionality, you want the CMS, you want this, hosting elsewhere is a huge mistake. And then go into the reasons why editor is powerful, CMS is powerful, and the Webflow infrastructure is powerful. So you gotta be confident with that response and then tell them all the reasons why that is just, you can't even think about that. That's way, just not necessary to think about. Yeah. They, let's say, um, I don't know, do you have another example? Let's, let's go through another live example here. Um, uh, do we have any ex objections specific from the questions? Let me see, let's see. Well, here's an objection that might come up. Anthony's asking, has not offering marketing affected, right? So somebody might want marketing to go alongside of their website. They might want some services that we don't necessarily offer that they're used to getting from an agency. So, you know, devil's advocate client comes and says, well, I mm -hmm. want you to handle marketing too. So, you know, what's your answer there? Absolutely not. You do not want to find a marketing company that makes websites and you don't want to find a website company that makes marketing, that does marketing. These are two different fields. They require two different people and two different mindsets. They should be handled by two different teams. You need a marketing specialist and you need a website specialist. The marketing team's website's going to be crap. My marketing service is not going to be good as a specialist. So do you see how I answered that question and made you think, whoa, that's not an objection, of course. I need to find a marketing team. I need to find a website team. We still get that request today. And that's the answer. We're not content writers. We're not marketers. We're the best at developing on Webflow. And we're going to do everything that we just talked about perfectly. And then they say, okay, you're right. We need to go find another marketing team. Yeah. So you, you got to make the person feel like that's not a real objection. That's you have to rethink about how you're, you're looking at this because there's a better way to look at it. Yeah. I, Let's I take like a price. That. I'd love to, to look at the price, the, the 10000 Someone says, hey, uh, I don't want to spend 10000 Well, it's 10000 because I'm going to onboard you. You're going to learn how to use the Webflow system, and then you're not going to need my help for months. You can edit the content. You can grow the CMS. You don't need a web developer. It's going to give you more time to do what you do best. So $10,000, that's... It's going to be so beneficial for you. Why do you need to negotiate that? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's how I like to approach these things. Come in with the extreme confidence, tell them there's a better way to think about this. And that usually gets them to think about it in a different way. Yeah, there's also something that we haven't really discussed here that is a really strong when it comes to sales. And it's called indifference. If you are desperate to close your next deal, that's gonna come off you like a nasty stink, okay? And a client will understand this, especially savvy clients. And so if you reek of desperation to close a deal, you can scare people off, right? And so indifference is this idea that you just have kind of a nonchalant, carefree attitude. You can take it or leave it. I, and, and ideally you'd have enough projects so you can actually be indifferent, right? So like you've got a nice pipeline primed up and you've got, 10 new deals sitting on the bench. And so when somebody says, I don't want your website because whatever reason, you can be like, cool, call you later, you know, talk to, talk to you later, whatever it is. 
And so that, when you take something away from people or when you like, because people are used to being in charge, right? I'm spending $10,000, you should worship me for that. Like, ah, sorry, we've got other people paying us that and more. So we're not really that excited about your, and again, I don't say this to be rude because we don't want to dismiss anybody's project. What I'm saying is it's all in balance. If you have a prime pipeline and you have this ability to kind of have a little bit of that indifference, it makes you so much stronger when you're presenting yourself to a prospect because they're like, oh, this person's in demand. I need to work with this. That warrants an extra bit of money. That warrants a little bit of value. And so when you make these other asks, that's another way to like, um, again, build perceived value, whether it's there or not, is up to you to deliver, um, but at least to build some of that perceived value. Um, any thoughts, Joe, on that? I do. Uh, I agree with that most of the time. And I'd love to go to closing big deals where I don't agree with that. Okay. Usually, yes. If someone doesn't want to pay 10000 and we're we're doing a 10000 site, no problem. I can refer you to this company, this company, and this company. And we do this. There are people that don't want to pay the money. Go check out these companies. They're probably less money. Sometimes you don't want to do this. There are some projects that you absolutely need to get. And you do have to let your guard down and just do anything the client says and be very, very open about it. At least this is how we do it. Our first project, that's how it happened. It was choose your price. I don't care how much it is. Pay after the project, only if you're extremely happy. Because it was the very first project and I needed that project. There was no option. So whatever I could say to make that happen, go for it. HelloSign, our big break for the next big project. I surrendered completely. I don't care how much you pay me. I don't care about the timeline. I don't care about the specs. You can change the scope in the middle of the project. Just say yes to FinSuite. I will do anything you want. And I pretty much said that in an email. Don't do this all the time. This is not something that you do for every project. It's doing it for select projects that you need. And I think it's okay to do it. Yeah. I like to be very open about it. Hey, this is a really important project for us. At this point, I do not care about money. I'm more interested in working with you than getting a few thousand dollars. So tell me what you want. I'm going to try to make it work for us. And I want to work with you or I need to work with you. Be a little bit more yeah. confident. Yeah. That's that a good method to closing big deals because you need that big deal. Do anything you can do to go get it. Yeah. And this um, answers automate intelligently was asking, had we ever had a project like that? And so you did at the beginning of FinSuite, you, you know, do you want to maybe talk about that hello sign experience real quickly? Um, just, just to show like, Hey, you eat your own dog food here, right? We're not giving anyone advice that we haven't at some level executed on ourselves. So um, maybe a good time yep. to just share a quick, quick version of that story. Sure. First, I'd like to, to let everybody know that we released something called FinSuite Strategy. And that's going to cover year one, two, and three of getting projects and growing. That HelloSign story is in there in full. I'll go over it a little bit here. HelloSign had a job, job posting on the Webflow forum, and they had over 100 people respond and try to get that project. I spent hours talking about that project with the client, drafting up emails, recording videos, 
telling them what's wrong with their site, telling them how I can fix it. I spent an incredible amount of time before they said yes or before they got me to the next step or anything. And then when we got to the payment, it was between me and some other person. And they said, hey, we're, now we're just, we're at the pricing point to see who makes sense financially. So I had the idea to say, I don't care. You choose your price, whatever you say, it's an automatic yes. Like you could say literally any number, you could say $1,000 and the answer is yes, because I knew that I needed that project. And that's how it closed. They, they saw my, my surrendering and my, my positivity for the project and passion as something very important. So they, they wrote back and they said, you have the project. We're very impressed by everything. And it was a win, win, win for, for everybody. Yeah. That's the project that got us more leads instantly. That side on the portfolio brought in new business immediately without yeah. any other efforts, no marketing, no anything, just seeing hellosign.com on that portfolio. That's the perfect example there. Um, I think it was automate intelligently. I can't find the question that was asking there, but that's exactly it where it's like every once in a while, you're going to stumble across this opportunity but you still need to prepare yourself to get these opportunities, right? You need to be in a position to take advantage of that or at least be considered legitimately. Had Joe said, I'll do it for whatever, but not had the qualifications, he would have been dismissed way earlier in that process. So getting to the place where he could say, price is not important, I just want the project, was literally the last step on that journey to landing that project. Um, he was already, you know, going through all these phases and offering value ahead of time to be able to get to the place where when it came down to money, he was the one that could dictate yay or nay on, on just doing that. So, um, let's see anything else closing big deals, Joe. And, and then there's a bunch of questions in here that one, I want to go through. Um, but yeah, closing big deals. What else do we have on that before we jump into the, just some generic, generic QA? Yeah. One more thing on the HelloSign project. The, the HelloSign project, it's very, very cool to know that the FinSuite portfolio was filled with mostly test sites and sample sites when they came to us, and that qualified us. So it wasn't just client portfolio sites. It was maybe 20 test sites and about five or six client sites. Yeah. And I made it very clear, these are not for clients, but this is what I can do. And these are for clients and these are happy people that you can go and speak with. So it doesn't need to be just client portfolio. It just needs to be, here's all the work I can do. Look at all the angles, look at all of the cool stuff that, that we can put together here. Yeah. So you don't need to have a ton of experience to land the big deal. You need to have a lot of work, uh, yeah. a lot of work, no matter where it's from. Well, and the portfolio needs to show that you can solve the problem the client's looking for it doesn't really matter that they're real sites or not. If they're real in the context that they load and you can interact with them and touch them and like you can see them, well, that's good enough oftentimes to show people that this is a credible builder, et cetera. And so that's one of the ways that I encourage people when you're starting to build your portfolio, it's like go find some really interesting websites and put your twist on it, redesign some things, uh, create some whole pro high profile sample sites that maybe are outside of your client work and you can add a little notice that not all of these projects are paid client projects, whatever. Um, but again, you just want to show that you can deliver. Um, and and this is a number of things. Joe, did you change when you started landing bigger clients, your uh, statements of work, your proposals, your uh, 
paper presentation, the back and forth, like what can we just maybe just a, a minute or two on like documentation wise, what changed, what kind of proposals, how do you present these deals to customers to wow those big clients? Sure. I like to think of this as creating a toolkit or resources or an arsenal of information to give to leads. This has been changing since day one of FinSuite. In the beginning, it was those sample test portfolios. Then it was the client sites. Then we started to have uh, an actual presentation built in Webflow, like a, almost like a visual statement of work. And then we started having another visual statement of work and then showing these little code hacks that we have, right? FinSuite hacks launches and hey, look at all these code hacks. And now we have so much to show. We don't even have to send these links in the email. People see it already. They go on our website and they see all the things that we've done. But those, a lot of those things were done to help that sales process, to be able to send that client to say, awesome, in their own way, they all do different things, check them out. That I see is, it's like fuel for your sale. Mm. And the more of these cool resources and cool tools that you have to fuel your sale, the more likely that person is to see you as a professional. Yeah, perfect. Um, okay, so let's close on that. Let's jump into questions. There's a few open questions from the crowd here. So I'm just gonna kind of rapid fire, run through some of these things and see if we close out here. Just FYI, we still got 70 concurrent viewers at the moment. Uh, thank you everyone for hanging with us last week, this week. This has been a fun experiment and we're really looking forward to continuing these. Um, so if you have any final questions, we're gonna do a quick run through here uh, through the YouTube chat. If you're watching, we're live on Facebook and Twitter right now, but we're just answering through YouTube chat uh, unless Rohan wants to pipe them in. But okay, Eric McQuestin. Hello, Eric, thanks for joining us again. Um, they have a client who wants an e-commerce site that he's trying to build on Webflow, but they're hesitant because they keep reading how many features it lacks. Eric, e-commerce is a, it's a serious place, man. That's somebody's money. So just make sure that if you're gonna get them on Webflow, you know, none of the features that lack are deal breakers. Um, your question, should you look for a Shopify or even a WooCommerce uh, site at this point? I don't know, uh, maybe that's really gets back to the needs analysis. Do you have some thoughts on e-commerce and Webflow right now, Joe? Yeah, you need to listen to those limitations that some people may see limitations in Webflow, but those may not be important to them. You have to figure out, are those limitations important to their success? If they're important to the success, you gotta go to Shopify. If they're not, Tell them to wait it out on Webflow e-commerce. I think it's going to continue yeah. growing and getting better and better and better. At FinSuite, we'd probably go Webflow e-commerce because we believe in the platform and we can change things so that it fits in that platform. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It comes down to the functionality and what you really need. Um, I like everything being on a single platform, so I wouldn't recommend doing like a front end for the store and Webflow and then sending them to Shopify. So. Um, if you're going to pick one, pick one and kind of commit to that too. But uh, it may have a difference as to, you know, the types of projects you go after, right? So like maybe it gets to the point where like we don't handle big Shopify stores because we're a Webflow only agency, right? And so again, it goes back to that qualifying the prospects and making sure that the people that come in are 
looking for the product you're selling. Um, any closing thoughts on that, Joe? No, no, that's good. Okay. Uh, let's see. Other than customer satisfaction, do we provide guarantees based on KPIs? Well, since we don't offer marketing, we don't really monitor KPIs for clients. But um, Joe, any experience on that? Any want to expand it all there? Yeah, we, we don't offer any formal follow-up services. If somebody asks for it, we can consider it. We'll tell them what they want. But no, we don't follow up and see how the website's doing or, or any of that. And the reason is there's so many factors that can go into a success or a failure of a website. Maybe it's the way you designed it and the way you developed it. Maybe it's a bad marketing team. Maybe it's stupid advertising. Maybe the product just sucks. There are so many other factors that you can't, you can't be the one responsible for that. Yeah. So no, uh, I, FinSuite's never done this and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you offer that as a service. Yeah. Um, Mo is asking, uh, what age did you start FinSuite, Joe? Sometimes I have the feeling my clients find me too young. So did you ever have any issues with that coming off as too young or inexperienced mm -hmm. when you started? No, nope, never had that issue. FinSuite was started around six years ago. And no, I, I've never gotten that comment. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would, if somebody said that I was too young, I would instantly follow that up with age. Doesn't matter. Look what I've done. Yeah. Would you rather have a, a 35 year old with two portfolio items or would you rather have a 16 year old with 50? I'm going 16 year old with 50 easy. And if you lay out that type of scenario, the person's going to look at you say, okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And if they don't, maybe that's not the right person to work with. You know, looking at somebody based on age, that's, I don't know, that doesn't seem right to me. Yep. Uh, I agree 100%. I mentioned this in the last episode. One of the beautiful things about the business we're in is the, the product either works or it doesn't. I don't care what color you are, what age you are, where you live in the world doesn't matter to me what sex you are. I don't care, right? Like, do you like to stand on your hand while you code with your toes? Cool. Like, does the product work? Great. Um, and so that's a beautiful thing about this entire business. And that's where I'll leave that. Um, Rasmus Foxman didn't know we did the abstract website. Love it. Use it at our company. So a little bit of love there. Yael, uh, YL, I'm sorry, I'm subscribing and watching every episode. There you go. Everybody, if you're watching, subscribe, hit the little bell notifications. We're going to be here every Tuesday at noon for about an hour. We're pushing over an hour. So let's just get a couple questions final here and we'll cut. Um, I have a client that is interested in switching to Webflow, but may not have specific problems with WordPress currently. Let's see, but may not have any specific problems with WordPress currently. What would you say if they ask, why should I switch to our, oh, from WordPress to Webflow? Um, if they don't have any, okay, so now I get it. They don't have any real specific problems with WordPress, but you're trying to convince them that they should move over to Webflow. What's your pitch there, Joe? Well, it's, it's a better experience and you can talk about the experience that you would get in WordPress versus the experience you would get in Webflow. Let's take cars. For example, you can drive a 2004 Toyota Camry and that's all good. Get you to work. Everything's fine. And you like the Camry. But when you then go sit in a 2018 Mercedes-Benz C-Class, it feels a little different. You may be getting to the same place, but it's just a better experience going to work. Yeah. And that is important. Being able to have that experience is important to some people. 
So if you want to stay with the, the 04 Camry, go for it. But if you want the 16 Benz, that's what Webflow is. I love that analogy. Uh, that's great. We'll leave that there. Okay, let's see. Customers often doesn't want to buy Webflow pages from me because they don't know my agency that works with them. I think I'm the only one in Graz, Austria that works with them. Uh, yeah, do do some things to build some notoriety. Host some events. Get involved with the, the community. Um, I saw this cool who wants to be a Webflower quiz you know, floating around the Facebook forum the other day. And it was just a cool, fun thing. And stuff like that goes viral, right? And people are like, oh, who built this? Next thing you know, you got a bunch of followers on the Webflow Showcase. And, you know, that can kickstart uh, a big thing. So just finding interesting ways to create value, do cool things, uh, solve problems. Let's see. Uh, what's your common response to the Webflow SEO objection? Joe? Uh, hmm. that there shouldn't be one. Uh, I, anytime somebody comes with SEO concerns with Webflow, I tell them that there is nothing to be concerned about. We have sites that perform very well in SEO. There's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, and, and really we do all the important things that Google is looking for. Also make sure that you communicate to people that SEO is a lot more than this technical side that started when SEO was a thing. It used to be all about H1s and H2s and structure and all these aspects. It's still about that, but Google now looks at how are people interacting with your content? How long are people staying on your page? Uh, how much do people find value in this content? And they can get those kind of, those kind of statistics. That's why the FinSuite site is so good in SEO. We actually score very low in the speed settings and all that bullshit. What we do is have people stay on our site, interact with our site, share our site. Other people are on our site. And that's what Google is really concerned about. Mm. So the technical nothing to be concerned about. We can do everything we need to do. But really, SEO is much deeper than that. Technical app. Correct. That's a big thing to really point out is that SEO has that's everything to do it. with social and engagement and time on page, scroll depth, et cetera any more more than it does the technical stuff the technical stuff is 20 25 percent of it everything else is um coming off the top of that so uh let's see sani andrade uh was asking do we do cold outreach for getting clients or do we rely on word of mouth um at this point we're a hundred percent inbound leads uh only i think joe had a little bit of experience cold calling so maybe he can talk a little bit about that but um i'm not sure cold calling and that's not the right fit for web web development, but I'm gonna let Joe talk to that because he started out by selling uh, cold calling websites. Yeah, I have a lot of experience selling on the phone. I'm pretty good at it. I had complete failure selling websites on the phone as a cold call, complete failure. And I'm experienced in this. It's not an industry to just call someone up and say, hey, I want a website, just like, I don't know, if somebody called you up and said, hey, I'm selling a car, do you want it? No, why would I want a car? That's that's a ridiculous thing. It's it's such a big purchase. Why are you just selling nothing? So no, don't recommend the cold call. I do recommend interacting with people, having those portfolio items, interacting with these people and have them see what you're actually doing. Yep. That I think is much more powerful than saying, hey, I'm trying to sell you something. Yep. 
Um, I agree. I think that's a good place. Let's see. Um, Richard Torres. Uh, I don't know if they already paid for three years of Wix and they want to switch to Webflow. They're just going to have to eat the cost or find something else to do with that. Maybe Wix will give them a refund. Um, let's see. Do generic business analysis? No, we don't do like business consulting or other things. It's just strictly build the website stuff. Um, Back in the day, I used to offer some of those ancillary services as a, as a creative freelancer, but even now, I understand the value of doing those things right, and I'll refer my customers to somebody who just does the, that thing. Um, and so as the final, let's see, YL, why do you think of auditing someone's existing site via video, then sending them to them as a pitch? That's uh, sure, again, that goes kind of into that cold call methodology that I just, I just don't know how effective that would be over time. Um, and also, Google is now saying that site experience and interface matter more. Yes, but the way they gauge that is based on how much time you spend on the page and how do you interact with things and, and, and uh, how do you click through the different pages. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's just the overall signal there. So anyway, great questions, everyone. Joe, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap out of here? I want to do another another show about this. That yeah. there's there's so much more to sales. I know, and we can continue talking about this. So if you have questions yeah. that you think of now, you think of tomorrow, send them over to us. Let's go yeah. and create another one of these shows generated with other questions. I agree. Send that over to was it communications.finsuite.com, and we'll bring all of Commun that up. What is it? communications at finsuite.com great communications.finsuite.com you can send those questions you can at, leave them here in the live chat an email communications at finsuite.com so send us an email with those thoughts leave them here in the youtube comments again you can find us on facebook twitter etc if you've got an idea for what you'd like to see in an upcoming show if you'd like to ask us a question you know whatever if you want to tell us how much uh we suck i doubt it because we're, you know, we're out here banging out, delivering some serious value. So if you want to tell us that, just, you know, <laughs> keep that one to yourself. But anyway, um, we're having a lot of fun doing these shows. They're going to get better. We're working on it. I know um, we had a couple little internet moments and the, maybe the video isn't as perfect as it needs to be. But we're going to keep getting better here, everyone. Thank you for bearing with us. This has been a great uh, second episode. And we will catch you all next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone.